welcome to Horizon. And man, do I echo what we just sang, that, that God is faithful. And if I have not met you yet, my name is Ryan Ventura, and I direct the family ministry here, and from time to time have the opportunity to teach. And uh, today I get to join you on this wild adventure of 1 Samuel, and it has been amazing, hasn't it? There have been uh, awesome highs and, and deep lows. There have been heroes that have arisen and villains that have arisen to match them. We've seen an amazing friendship develop between David and Jonathan. And we've also seen throughout all the 20 chapters that have gotten us to today, uh, an amazing faithfulness and goodness of God. And today it's going to be no different. The chapter 21 is just wild. And I don't know if you recall, but 10 or 12 years ago, there was a, a big fascination on TV with survivor shows. Um, there was one called Survivor Man, and there's one called Man vs. Wild. And uh, a guy named Bear Grylls was one of my favorites. And uh, Bear Grylls, that's about as masculine a name as you can find. But they would take Bear, and they would put him in a helicopter, and they would take him somewhere like the tundra of Siberia, and he would parachute out wearing only his swimsuit and somehow survive for a week. I mean, it was crazy. And what we would ultimately see is that the desperate times would push Bear into some desperate measures. That he'd be eating grubs and rubbing mud all over his face. I mean, crazy things that you didn't, sometimes didn't even like watching. Um, but he was desperate to survive. And what we're going to see in chapter 21 is David is going to have a very similar experience. That chapter 21 could be an episode of Survivor Man. We are going to have a front row seat as David runs for his life, he hides, he lies, he deceives. Eventually, he, he just acts completely insane, all trying to save his skin. It's going to be a lot of fun to see, um, but we're going to see that David has desperate times and they push him to desperate measures, and, and sometimes those desperate measures aren't going to be so pretty, but thankfully we can learn from them. So today we're going to look at three survival tips for the desperate measures that we might face in our lives. And the first survival tip for surviving desperate measures we'll see is this. It's to choose dependence over deceit. That as we ended last week, as Drew uh, so nicely um, took us through chapter 20, we saw that David has confirmed that Saul is trying to kill him. That his father-in-law the king of the land, um, is definitely trying to take him out. That the spears thrown at his head were no coincidence. He is running for his life. And we're going to see that he runs to a city called Nob. So here in uh, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. And this is going to be our key verse for today, right out of the gate. And it is these words from Ahimelech, why are you alone? Because Ahimelech's words are going to betray what is going on in David's heart. And his actions are going to show this. And that is this, that David feels amazingly alone. That his actions are going to be the actions of a man who feels abandoned. And we'll see that throughout the chapter. But let's pick back up. So David heads to Nob. So Nob was called the city of priests. Uh, the tabernacle resided there. Um, there were dozens and dozens of priests that lived there. So in some ways, it could be David heading in a good direction in his desperation. 
that he's heading towards God in the tabernacle. The problem is, is that he, when he gets there, he is greeted by Ahimelech. And Ahimelech asks this question of why you are alone. Because David was the captain of the guards. He was an important military leader in the kingdom. And he normally didn't travel without an entourage. He would have had hundreds of people with him typically. And on this occasion, he had a few men at most. So Ahimelech is wondering, what is going on? Like, what's going on in the kingdom that David is here almost by himself and he's scared? And what we're going to see here right out of the gate is that David is faced with the, the first of three opportunities to either trust God or, or trust himself. That Ahimelech, just like Samuel is a priest, um, that could help David. But we're going to see that David instead chooses to go in a different direction. Verse 2, it says, So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young man to do such and such. Well, here's what I think is going on in this chapter is David initially is drawn to God in his desperation. He heads towards Nob, as we see. But very quickly, he is conquered by his fear that, that he's drawn to God. What am I going to do? And he gets there and he's confronted by Ahimelech. And he has this decision to lie or not. Um, and we see that he lies, right? And it's basically the, the oldest lie in the book when it comes to something like this, that we're on a cloak and dagger mission, Ahimelech. And I would tell you, but basically I would have to kill you, right? Like that's sort of what David is getting at here. And it can be tempting in desperate times for a little white lie, can't it? Or, or maybe a little fudging of the truth, a, a little elaboration, a little sleight of hand. You know, it's amazing how many phrases we have for lying. But, but David is, is doing that here. And, and I can relate. There's times where I'm tempted when things get tough to figure out a way to fudge the details a little bit. One of my favorite quotes that I think of in this is, uh, from Sir Walter Scott. And it says, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we choose to deceive. And David is going to see this in his life, that the tangled web that he continues to weave is going to have very painful and, and dangerous results for himself and the people in his life. So we find ourselves with the anointed future king of Israel, hungry, the soon-to-be master of vast wealth, starving and we're going to hear a little whisper from God of his faithfulness now David says this in verse 3 he says now therefore what have you on hand give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found and the priest answered David and said there is no common bread on hand but there is holy bread if the young men have at least kept themselves from women so here's what's going on. David's hungry. He's got a few men with him. He asks Ahimelech for some bread. And Ahimelech says, hey, we don't have any wonder bread. We don't have any of the common stuff. We're, we're plumb out of that. But we do have holy bread. Like we have some of that. And what that would have looked like is this. And it was technically called show bread. Um, it's also called face bread. And there would be 12 loaves that would be left out. And, and they signified a visual representation of of God's relationship with his people in the form of a meal. 
that it was called face bread because it was meant to signify a face-to-face sit-down dinner between God and his people. It was an intimate, an intimate way to communicate the relationship. And it's interesting because tradition would have that only priests were supposed to eat the holy bread. And, and perhaps that's why we see a little bit of hesitation here with Ahimelech. You know, where he's not quite willing to, to totally just hand that over to David um, unless certain conditions have been met. And that can be a little confusing where you're like, hey, what's, why is the Bible almost disagreeing here with itself? But in a wonderful way, the Bible informs the Bible. So when we skip ahead to the New Testament, there's a wonderful story where Jesus is with his disciples. And it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry. Are you seeing a similarity here? And they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. You see, what Ahimelech showed us and and Jesus confirms later in Scripture is that sometimes human need outweighs tradition or custom. That there might be certain customs that they would use that that perhaps weren't something God had even said, but that that human need would always outweigh them. Um, So David is allowed to have the showbread. And I love that question of have your young men kept themselves, you know, pure. Um, And I imagine David's answer. He says this, He said in verse 5, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in fact common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So David's kind of saying, I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, like we haven't seen women and who knows how long. And and I kind of believe him because when you're running for your life, you're probably not thinking about romance too much. Um, and, And he's also saying it's not even really common bread anymore. Um, or it's not even really holy bread anymore because it's already been taken off of the altar. And and what's neat about this that we'll see is that the bread was always hot. That It says the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away, here in verse 6. And what that's talking about is that God... And his wisdom always wanted there to be fresh bread on the table. In the same way that with us, God always wants our relationship with him to be fresh, to be real, to not grow stale and old. So he gives David the bread. And it can seem like a simple thing, gang, just lunch. Like, David, here's your bread. But what's amazing here is that I think it's a, it's a place where God is whispering to David, David, I am good. You can depend on me. Like today you've come here hungry and today I provided bread. And more than that, it's not the wonder bread. It's not the basic stuff. It is the show bread, the face bread. You can trust me. David, you can choose dependence over choosing deceitfulness. And that takes us to our second survival tip. To choose dependence over defensiveness. 
Have you ever been having a, a bad day where things haven't been going great and uh, out of nowhere you run into like the last person on earth that you ever want to see? Maybe it's an old coworker, maybe it's an old relationship, um, but it is the last person you want to see. Well, well, this is about to happen with David, okay? Um, he's, he's eating his bread. You can imagine he and his buddies are happy for the moment. Maybe their tides are turning. Um, and it says this in verse 7. It says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg. And he's an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So he is the chief herdsman. So he's an important man in Saul's kingdom. And you can imagine David's eating his bread and <laughs> like chokes on it because out of nowhere he sees Doeg. And immediately he is just filled with fear, right? Because he knows that, that Doeg knows who he is, right? David was a famous man in the kingdom. And he's got to be asking himself, does he know? Like, will he, is he going to tell on me? Am I, am I in trouble, right? And amazingly, immediately, he gets defensive. And what I ask myself out of that is when, when things get crazy in my life, when I get desperate, when I get cornered, do I intentionally get defensive? It's funny, I think of uh, this in my marriage, that, that marriage is such an interesting relationship, right? It's, a, it's an awesome covenant relationship, God-ordained, um, but it's hard, Right? Like, it's not easy. And Becky and I have been married for almost 18 years. And when I think of defensiveness, um, she sort of has coined this phrase that I, you know, I'm not going to put on my resume. We'll put it that way. But it's, um, it's a phrase called blame shifting. And often what will happen is we'll be in a conversation or a little bit of a conflict or argument. And Becky will try to hand me some blame in essence of like, hey, here's something you're doing that I don't appreciate or something you've done I don't appreciate. Um, and, and instead, I take that and I say, well, here you go. It's right back at you, sister. Like, and I shift the blame to her, right? Because when we get desperate, sometimes it's easier to just go on the defensive. And, and that is ultimately what we're going to see David doing here. Continuing here in verse 9, Ahimelech said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind that ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, and I, I love these words, you can hear the excitement in his voice, there is none like it, give it to me. <laughs> okay, so what's going on here is David, when he killed Goliath back in chapter 17, um, he pulls out Goliath's sword and he cuts off Goliath's head with it, as we all know, okay? And then after that, in order to honor God and say, hey, God, you're the one who did this, he, he gives it back to God. And it had been kept in the, uh, the tabernacle um, since then. So when David sees this sword, it is not just a sword. This is the sword, right? And this is God's second place where God is whispering in his ear and he's saying, hey, David, don't you remember don't you remember being the little pipsqueak and, and killing the 10-foot tall giant with, with only a few pebbles? Like, you can trust me. I'm dependable. And sometimes I ask myself, like, wouldn't it be nice to be the disciples where you could have rubbed shoulders with Jesus and, man, that would have really changed my faith. Or wouldn't it be amazing to, like, have been David and have God give you this 
really sweet sword that you had killed a giant with as a way to say, hey, hey, Ryan, I'm, I'm trustworthy. And sometimes I mourn that, but man, do we have far better. The, the Bible calls itself a, a sword. Okay, that, that God, instead of handing us an actual sword, every day we have an opportunity to, to pick up our sword and to read not one story of God's faithfulness, but hundreds of stories of God's faithfulness. And do we say to ourselves, man, there is none other like this. Like, give it to me. You see, the, the sword of Scripture is powerful. It says this in Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divisions of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That when we're scared, when we're desperate, yeah, we can look back on the past ways God's been faithful in our lives, but, but we also have his word where we can look at countless examples of his faithfulness. So we're going to pick up with David here and see what he does, and it'll lead us to our last survival tip, which is to choose dependence over desperation. So David has gone from deception to defensiveness, and, and we're going to see him here get very, very desperate. Okay? So let's pick up here in verse 10 and see what he does. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and, and David his tens of thousands? So David, okay, this is crazy. Um, let's recap, just in case you've fallen asleep or something. David, he heads to Nob because he's terrified. Um, he lies to Ahimelech, he deceives, he gets given this showbread, a reminder of God's faithfulness. He sees Doeg, um, and then he is given the reminder of God's faithfulness again in Goliath's sword. And then Gath, do you know where Gath is? <laughs> Gath is the hometown of Goliath. So how crazy, imagine, like what is David thinking Right? Like, has he fallen? Has he bumped his head? Is he criminally insane? Like, why in the world would he head to the hometown of Goliath, carrying Goliath's sword? Like, he's losing it. And I think the answer is this, that, that desperate times can force us into desperate measures. And, and often desperate measures, not only are they not successful, but they're just harmful. I think of a... Uh, a few years ago, many years ago actually, when I was in college, um, I lived with five guys and we were all in ministry. And um, one night, one of my roommates and this big bear of a guy named Steve Bercy, um, Steve is about 6'5 and he comes home and he has this tiny little kitten in his hands, okay? <laughs> it's the size of like a, an orange. And he informs us that this little kitten um, was going to be part of our family and his name was Petey, okay? And Petey at first was cute, um, but very quickly we realized that there was something wrong with Petey, okay? And for whatever reason, Petey liked using my bed as his bathroom. We'll just put it that way. So I'd find a puddle or I'd find a present about once a week. And eventually the cuteness of Petey 
wore off and he, I was just annoyed. <laughs> so one night I come home after work and I find a present in my bed from Petey and I begin chasing him around the house, okay? And uh, he is like grease lightning, so I had no chance of catching him. Um, and I don't know what I would have done if I did catch him, but Petey is desperate, okay? So he's jumping on counters, he's climbing on the couch, he's on bookshelves, I'm chasing him, probably yelling some things I'm not proud of. Um, we get to my room, which is on the second floor, so keep that in mind, okay? And Petey races by my bed, the scene of the crime, so I'm getting more angry, and he heads towards my window, which is actually open, <laughs> and Petey jumps out of it, just free-for-all, cat through the window, no screen. Thankfully, there were gigantic bushes under that window, so Petey survived and lived many more years, <laughs> don't worry. Um, but I think of that desperation that would cause you to just jump out of a window. And I think of David, that he is so desperate that he, he is willing to jump into enemy kingdom, head to an enemy king, to the hometown of Goliath. But let's see what he does. It says this in verse 12, it says, Now David took these words to heart and is very much afraid probably smart on his part, of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down his beard. <laughs> okay, David is basically just losing it, folks. Okay, that's what's happening here. We can sort of um, ascertain from the word pretended that he is still in his right mind, that he's not just totally had a mental break, um, but either way, David has found himself in such a pickle that he is going to have to completely humble himself to get out of it. And in fact, the door scratching was one thing, but the drool coming down his beard would have been just a, an ultimate act that, that a, a man in that culture could not have even watched. And I think that's why we see um, the king in a moment have such a strong reaction that this act, this act of letting drool go down your beard was the worst insult to a Jewish man and here we find David doing it. And continues in 14. Then Achish, the king again, said to his servants, Look, you see this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I a need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Right, Achish is just so offended by the drool coming down David's beard that he's like, just get him out of my sight. Like maybe if you've uh, ever managed people, you've had these moments where you're like, why are these madmen all around me? Well, that's where Achish is, and that's where David is, that he is so desperate that, that he is pretending to be totally crazy. You know, it, it can be easy to, to see David in this moment and, and almost feel just sorrow. Like, David, you had such strong faith that you were able to des destroy a giant with a few pebbles. And, and now we find you here with such a lack of faith that you're totally defiling yourself and what gives well for for me I think this is why David is such a compelling man in the Bible that I if I'm honest I relate with him that man I have days where I have faith that is just courageous and I can with God's help battle giants in my life but then I, I have days where my faith lacks and I I find myself in humbling situations doing dumb things Right? I, I have both of those. And, and that is the story of David's life that we see these amazing highs 
and these amazing lows. But what we're going to find out is that through all of that, the, the thread that ties it all together is his belief in the, the faithfulness of God. And, and one of the things that, that's amazing about David is these times, this tension of his, his brokenness and falling and, and God's forgiveness and wholeness coming together um, led to a lot of really awesome poetry and, and lyrics to music that we sing even today, sometimes here at Horizon, um, that it took some of that conflict to make it happen. And here's the, the best part. Again, we talked earlier about how the Bible informs the Bible. And in the midst of 1 Samuel 21, where we get a front row seat of David's crazy actions, his desperate measures, at the very same time, and this blew my mind, Psalm 56, which David also wrote, he penned while in Gath under captivity. So at the exact time that he is either contemplating, acting like a drooling idiot, or he has just finished it, he writes Psalm 56. And he says this, he says, You number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. And then these last words, man, these are worth the price of admission. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That, that at the very same time, this complex man, David, who's just like you or like me, he, he's totally messing up his life, but at the same time in his heart, he knows God's good and, and he's seeking forgiveness. There's a great quote from Charles Spurgeon that says, the music of the sanctuary is in no small degree indebted to the trials of the saints. Affliction is the tuner of the harps of the sanctified songsters. <laughs> Man, is that beautiful that, that David's music was the result of the, the affliction of his life. That tension between him failing and, and him seeking forgiveness. And friends, I, I wonder today where we are with that. Here, here's what I found in my life is that if, if I want authentic faith, if I want deep roots in my relationship with Christ that, that, that help me weather the storms, then I've, I've got to be on board for that journey, for the up and down journey of life and the, the up and down journey of faith, right? Where I, I, I mess up some days, but God is, is good. And other days I, I do great and I have strong, courageous faith, but, and God is still good. That I change, I go up and down because I'm made of flesh and bone, but God never changes. He is always faithful. He is always good. He cannot be anything other than those things. So I wonder during this time, what song is God writing on your heart? What... what what masterpiece is the affliction perhaps in your life producing? And, and I know that the, the phrase is desperate times call for desperate measures. But for me, the, the real journey of this chapter is that, that in essence, desperate times call for desperate dependence. That, that every step along the way, God was revealing himself to David. That, that even when... when 
he was found out in Gath, the people, and I don't know if you caught this, but the people said, here is the king of the land. Not the future king, not the anointed king, the king. That, that even in the midst of being caught and drooling all over himself, God gives him one last reminder. David, you're, you're the anointed king. Like, I have your future. David, I had your past. Think of Goliath's sword, David. I, I have your present. Here was the showbread. And, and I have your future. Like strangers are saying that you're the king of the land. So for me, the, the question every day is, is am I going to choose desperate measures when there's desperate times? Or, or am I going to choose desperate dependence? And, and today we're going to end with a, one of my favorite songs. It's a song called Come Thou Fount. And, and it's an oldie, but it's a goodie because it describes the heart of man perfectly. That we wander we have failings, but God is steady and, and God is good. So pray with me, if you will. God, thank you for today. Thank you uh, for your word, the, the sword that we can go to over and over again uh, as a reminder of your goodness and faithfulness in our lives. It's hard to be thankful for desperate times, but I, I thank you that during desperate times that you don't change so I pray that instead of trusting in our own strength, that you would help us to trust in you. In your precious name, amen. Thanks a lot and have a great week.